Hi, neighbor. Welcome to this neighborhood. From the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound. Hi, my name is Lila. I am the editor-in-chief and the top reporter for my neighborhood newspaper, The Drake Bronco. I am Tal Roberts. I'm the president of the Washington Checker Club. My name is Don Floyd, and I ought to be deader in hell. ReSound is a remix of music, documentaries, found sound, sound bites, and friendly little audio tidbits, the kind you might want to share with the people next door, that we find all over the world. On the air, the internet, we listen to everything we can get our ears on and bring you the best of what we hear each week on ReSound. In other words, we curate, and ReSound is usually a showcase of curated work. But once in a while, we like to step out of that role and actually foster the creation of new work. So how do you get dozens of audio producers from far and wide, both novice and veteran, to make radio stories? Well, you give them a few rules, a few incentives, find some amazing collaborators, and there you have it. The Third Coast Short Docs Challenge, which in 2012 brought in 180 entries from all over the world. Apparently, my neighbor gets up unusually late, even on weekdays. Our aunties are emigrating. Our brothers have got promotions. The Virgin Mary, they said, appears in the wall of underneath the bridge. On today's ReSound, Third Coast Artistic Director Julie Shapiro will join me in the studio, and together we'll spin some of our favorite short docs from the 2012 challenge. And we'll talk more about the rules, the incentives, and this year's collaboration with everyblock.com. Julie, welcome. I I have to say I love the show every year because I love the Short Ducks Challenge. Um, but before we dive into them and listen to, I don't know, 10 or 12 of them today, you are in for such a treat. Can you give us a little background and tell us what the Short Ducks Challenge is all about? So we started the Short Docs, well, actually for two reasons, to give people who'd never made radio a chance to do it for the first time, a reason to do it. And to give more experienced producers a reason to do something a little different and have a little fun with a different exercise. And every time we do the Short Docs Challenge, we bring in a collaborator who's usually not in the radio world because they have their networks and we have our networks and we can both kind of expand. Um, Who was this year's collaborator in the Short Docs Challenge? This year's partner came from a personal experience that I had after I had signed up for a website called everyblock.com. And this is an online forum for your own neighborhood. And I started noticing that there were just these miniature stories playing out day after day through the posts and through how people were responding to things happening in our community, whether it was graffiti on a building or, you know, a huge enormous stuffed animal that was discarded in an alley. There was this whole mythology that sprouted up around this purple bear, you know, just these sort of interesting nuggets of narrative and story were coming through these lists. So I had this idea that every block, the website, would be a great partner for the 2012 Short Docs because they're all about finding the story and giving a platform for people to tell stories in their neighborhoods. And what did you guys come up with in terms of the shape of the project? Well, it was great. I approached um, my friend slash contact slash colleague Sandy Wise, and he was excited about the idea as well. So he helped us come up with some of the rules for this year. We knew that one would be relative to the idea of neighbors because of every block being the main partner. So that rule became you had to feature at least two neighbors in your story. We kept it very loose. So feature meant 
whatever it means to you to be featured. It could be interviews with two different people. They could be in the background. They could be referenced, at least two neighbors. And then Sandy came up with uh, one of my favorite rules ever, which was you had to include three seconds of narrative silence. So silence that helps you tell your story. And then the third rule, you had to include a color in your title. So we ask everyone to submit a one-sentence summary and a title for their stories. And this year's submissions had to have a color in the title. And of course, all that has to be done in three minutes or less. That is also one of the rules. Okay, so let's dive in. What is the first short doc that we're going to listen to? Well, we thought we'd start with something local. Uh, the one-sentence summary for Miracle in Gray and White by Katie Clarkson is Neighbors Investigate an Apparition. It was white, kind of chalky white. It was grayish. It was grayish white. It looks like dirty snow. A little rosy bit on top. It was on the news one night, and I had to go. So I drove down there right then. I just stopped whatever I was doing. I got in my car, and I drove down there. And I walk all the way there. Everybody was running that way. The Virgin Mary, they said, appears in the wall of underneath the bridge of the Kennedy Expressway. You see exactly the Virgin over there. The head and the body completely. I had no question in my mind about it that that's what it was. It was obvious. They call it the Virgin Mary of Kennedy Expressway. Kennedy Virgin, they call it really. Kennedy Virgin. The Virgin Mary of the underpass. Our Lady on the underpass. The Virgin of the Brick. It's the bridge at Fullerton where the Kennedy goes over top. It's got to be a good 100 yards across. As cathedral-like as you can possibly get for being underneath the eight-lane expressway. It's loud, constant. It isn't just something you're seeing. It's something you're feeling because of all the noise. Normally that noise from that traffic would have probably been overwhelming. I didn't even pay attention to it. I was just so entranced by this image. And I said, it couldn't be. And then I realized, oh my God, what's the matter with me? God is with us. I say, oh my God, it's the person we here. People were taking a lot of candles all over, a lot of flowers and candles. And it was beautiful to see the faith of the people. There was reverence there. I always thank God and thank Mayor Daly. I don't know why I say Mayor Daly, because he was the only mayor, uh, that, that he gave permission to do that with flowers and pictures. I see it, it's, it's a stain on the wall. That was a stain. The shape that the stain took, that goes beyond a stain. Something happened here. I think a person put it up. If someone put that in there, probably God permitted it. If he put it there, it's because God permitted it. After all these years, people still put candles and flowers. It's gonna probably be remembered forever. One of the things I really love about that piece is her use of the silence. And I feel like 
before the silence, it's one kind of peace. And then I feel like I'm in a church. You know, there's reverence. Yeah, I think it's a really touching, sweet piece. Now, if you've ever seen this um, apparition, then you might have a visual for it. But even if you haven't, I think you get an, un- an understanding for what people experienced when they're under that bridge looking at this vision. And you can even find this on online and look at a picture. It's the, you know, just Google Virgin Mary of the Underpass in Chicago, and I'm sure it'll pop right up. Uh, we've heard about the rules that you came up with with everyblock.com, our collaborators in this project. But I just have to ask, why rules in the first place? I mean, why not just let people do what they want? We were highly inspired by a cartoonist who was highly inspired by <sighs> a French literary movement called Ulipo that uh, it celebrates this idea of creativity through constraints. So the more rules, the more creative your brain can actually be. What we have found is that it's really true. So we team up with a partner, we create some rules, and it's just enough of a framework to get people going. It's a nice prompt, but they're usually open enough that you can really take a story anywhere. Julie, what do we need to know about the next one we're going to hear? So... uh, We got certain kinds of stories throughout the submissions, and a popular kind of story that we got was people who recorded their neighbors overhearing them or eavesdropping on them or hearing them through structure. So here's an example of that. From Denmark, we have The Purple Spotted Sock by Sigrid Sabai, a story about a neighbor, which turns out also to be a story about another neighbor, and when all comes to all, about the narrator herself. My neighbor and I live in parallel lives. We live the same place, but we don't live together. We share the same building, the same garden, same mailbox. And although I have only seen him very few times, quickly hurrying down the hallway, it still seems like I know him quite well, because I know all his sounds. Apparently, my neighbor gets up unusually late, even on weekdays. This is the sound of his alarm clock ringing. It's Tuesday, and it's 11 o'clock a.m. That's quite late to be snoozing. I guess he's a bee person. In these buildings, sound travels. This is the sound of my neighbor peeing. Or, actually, this sounds more like a woman. I guess she's the one I heard 2 o'clock last night in his bedroom. It wasn't exactly the sound itself that bothered me, nor the fact that they woke me up. I guess my problem was that I was a bit envious of them, because I was alone in my bed. This is the sound of our shared washing machine down in the basement. This week, when I was folding the clean clothes, I found a funny-looking blue sock with purple dots on it. First, I thought it was my boyfriend's, but he hadn't seen it before. It must be my neighbor's then. I guess his feet are about the same size as my boyfriend's. I better put them back. He must be missing one sock. This is my neighbor being quiet. He just had a huge crowd with that woman I told you about. She just left the apartment, slamming the door and running down the stairs leaving as much noise as possible. I wonder whether he's sad or relieved. Oh, 
and this is the sound of me leaving my apartment to go knock on his door. Strange. He didn't open the door. Maybe he'd just rather be left alone right now. This is the sound of my boyfriend coming home. In a moment, you will hear him drop his bag on the floor and fling himself on the couch. He's working hard. I wonder how long he will stay this time. My boyfriend is like my other neighbor. In a way, at least. I mean, we live in the same place, but we don't really live together. So, my favorite part about this one is that it says so much and so little all at the same time. Yeah, I think it starts as this sort of humorous, here's this tale about my neighbors, and I'm watching them, and then it just turns internal. It gets very private, very personal. There's just so much going on and such a simple piece. Every time I listen to it, I get more out of it, which I think is a sign of a, a, a really well-done piece. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast International Audio Festival. I'm Gwen Maxi. I'm here with Julie Shapiro, and we're listening to, talking about some of the submissions from the 2012 Short Docs Challenge. Julie, what's next? Okay, so the next submission we're going to play um, is one that really demonstrates a very creative approach. It's unlike any of the other 178 stories that were submitted. Ooh. And uh, it really impressed us by doing something completely different and completely surprising. It's called On the Day I Died, It Was Mostly Blues by Alex Blair. And the summary is, I live next to the Westwood Cemetery in Carborough, North Carolina, and my neighbors are the ghosts who reside there. Ooh. It's, it's sad and isolating to be a ghost. On the day I died, it was quiet. It was peaceful. And it was mostly blues. Lots of different shades of blue. Well, I had a very long life. I was very blessed to live a very full life. I remember feeling tired. I remember feeling ready. But I do remember hearing a lawnmower and thinking, oh gosh, it would be nice to go outside today. Looks like it would be a beautiful day out. I don't really miss the end part. I don't recall all the details of that last day, but it's the little pieces of life that I do miss. I see other ghosts around, but we don't really communicate much. There's a lot of kids that play around here in the cemetery. I love the, the people just doing their thing, 
in the cemetery, whether they're visiting me or not. Um, I like to see folks having a good time or having a sad time or just feeling. The cemetery is where, I don't know, it's like where I end up. I'm back to where I was buried, but I don't hang out there. It's, you know, it's, I'd rather go hang out in the 7-Eleven, you know, watch people. It's boring. It's extremely boring. I just, I have nothing but time. <laughs> yeah. I miss the way that the sun feels on my skin and, and the way that it smells just after it rains and all those sensory things that, you know, I would take for granted every day. Those are the things that I miss the most and, and it's even just tea, <laughs> hot tea. I, mi I miss all the, those really simple things, that, the day-to-day -day things that we would take for granted. So, um, one thing about this story is, to me, is that it's got a very big idea, but very minimal production. I think what Alex was trying to do was conjure a feeling of reflection and it just was so I had that sense of like there's so much time once you've passed like I feel like this piece takes you into that timeless place there's something about the pacing of this piece that's just southern these are sort of southern ghosts and it has so little to do with what I picture a northern urban bustling society so I don't know what the the Chicago cemetery piece would sound like but it'd be interesting to hear maybe in the next round of short talks What's the next one we're going to listen to? Well, one of the most exciting things about the short docs is how different they are from each other. And case in point, the next one up is Yellow-Bellied Woman Fights the Blues, 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. by Jane Kramer. Her one-sentence description is, Hello, neighbor. The weather is fine outside, and my old stuff is all yours, all free. Well, kind of. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> How much should the microscope cost? Um, I would say the microscope would be like six jokes. Six jokes? Yeah. Okay. Um, and if you need to like go and like find some more jokes and come back, that's fine. Or if you like know six jokes, I don't know any jokes. <laughs> Can you call someone? Everything's One, free. Two, three. Well, four. Kind of. What do elves do after school? What do elves do after school? No, go, uh, go work. Go what? Go no work. Something like that. <laughs> oh, no, no work. No work. No work. <laughs> All right, 
You have successfully given me six jokes. Do you need a bag? Yeah. Okay, totally. How do you get a one arm out of a tree? How? Wave at him. <laughs> thank you very much. You have just gotten yourself a small toy horse. All right, thank you. All right, have a good day. What do you call a fish with no eyes? What? So an armadillo walks into a bar, sits down, and the bartender comes up to him and says, hey, we've got a drink named after you. And the armadillo says, you got a drink named Gustav? Uh, I know that one, but it's a grasshopper and he says, wow. Give me jokes you tell, especially all the customers you make laugh, especially the guy's wife. What's the price difference between beer nuts and deer nuts? What? Beer nuts are three ninety-five a can, and deer nuts are under a buck. <laughs> <laughs> that was real good. That you could take. You want? You want anything else? That was real good. All right. That's like a, I think it's like a paperweight or something. What's your name? Jane. Jane, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Hi there. Louis, do you live around here? Yeah, so the day went really well, and I ended up meeting a lot of people, and I ended up hearing a lot of great jokes. I mean, I really had no idea my neighbors were so... funny. <laughs> One of the things that I love about this project is that with not just one rule, but usually three, what you get is a puzzle that needs to be put together. And everybody puts it together in a different way. Everything from submissions that were based on real events to people that actually created events just to fulfill the, these specific rules. It's one thing when a story idea prompts you to kind of think of characters and you know get out in the world and re interview some people. But I love that she took this as an excuse to actually hold a yard sale. She created a whole economy, a joke bartering economy, and she met some of her neighbors. It was brilliant and uh, felt very honored that, that the Short Docs Challenge um, inspired such a radical response from Jane. You know, there are all kinds of interesting people that live right around your neighborhood. Nice to meet you. Hi there. I'm Louis. Louis, do you live around here? You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi. I'm here with Julie Shapiro, and we are listening to and talking about some of the submissions for the 2012 Short Docs Challenge. Um, if you're just tuning in, let's review some of the rules for this year's challenge. There was, well, first of all, everything has to be three minutes or under, every submission. Uh, it had to have a color in the title, 
It had to include two neighbors, and it had to have three seconds of narrative silence. Julie, what's next? So here's a great example uh, that's emblematic of another type of story we got throughout the challenge, which was um, tales of neighbors that don't really know each other or the sort of the irony of living so close to someone, but perhaps going a whole lifetime without really knowing who your neighbors are. And I think this piece got to that in a very sobering way. So this next one is Silent Tornado, A Long Black Night by Mary Helen Miller. And the sentence description is, Virginia Miller and her husband Tim recount the night a tornado hit and how it changed their relationship with their neighbors. It happened Wednesday night. The tornado came through, but it hit here at 8.32. The double wide that was next to us actually twisted and everything came into our yard. Two people in each double wide and all four died that night. My husband can tell you more about it because as I told you, he's deaf and it was pretty dark and wet, but he went out with me. Don't read lips in the dark. Oh, I don't read lips in the dark. And she wanted me to go down and help somebody. They were screaming. I, I don't do good in the dark. My balance is terrible, all this stuff. But I went and I saw, but I couldn't hear the intensity of it. Mr. Christian went into the garage door and caved it in. But, and then she hit the retaining wall and ended up in the back backyard. Basically, covered them up, waited. That was a long night in the dark. The next morning when we walked out and saw everything, it was just unbelievable. People pulling out, taking pictures, bumper bumper traffic. With the uh, two dying on our property, the police said it was a crime scene and they had to clear it before we could actually have people come in to help us because Mrs. Christian actually was dismembered and we found the body parts that happened Wednesday night. We found some on Friday, more on Monday. We knew one of the four because she was here when we moved out. Yeah, I talked to the Christian, Mr. Christian one time in the, what, 20 years, 15. 15 years they lived out here. You get busy with your own life, and you come in, and you do what you need to, and you go inside, and then you rest. You work, you come home, you work, come home. You get up and leave, and you come back. So that's been a change. I think um, we know our neighbors a little bit better now. What was interesting to see about the 2012 short docs was that neighbors were really a perfect prompt for storytelling because, I mean, the crux of a good story is interaction and people and, and you know, whether you, whether they were stories of conflict or stories of isolation or stories of over-familiarity or stories of fear of neighbors, the, the basic relationship of neighbors begs... Uh, drama. Uh, so we're really grateful to every block for getting on board and helping us spread the word about it and helping us think about what are the neighbor stories. And now we turn to a short doc that you know especially well. Julie? 
And why is that? <laughs> okay, tell, it's t- true. I had been wanting to make a short radio story about my neighbor and his cats for a long time. And it didn't even occur to me till almost the very last minute, but this was my opportunity to do just that. Oh, and are you uh, saying that you didn't organize the entire short box exactly. challenge about neighbors so to make this piece? No, I did not. This actually um, didn't occur to me till I had all the pieces of the puzzle right there in front of me. And and I and I I like to think that this is what other producers' experiences might be, which is they sort of have an idea for a story, they don't really have a reason to make it, and then the short box challenge comes along and just teases you, tempts you, like you just can't yeah. not follow through. Right. But, so, but this piece is not only about your neighbor and his cats. Right, because that actually wouldn't be a very good story choice. But it wasn't until subject number two, neighbor number two, entered the picture that I realized I had. I was obligated, morally obligated by my own conscience to to explore this story. Okay. And so what's it? What's the title? Yeah. And what's your one-sentence descriptor? Uh, black and white and red all over. Cub reporter Lila is keeping a keen eye on Drake Avenue, especially one particular family. Let's hear it. Um, the Drake Bronco does not have its own website because my parents won't let me post anything on a website or make my own website. And I just want the Drake Bronco to be for people on Drake and for Drake to just have its own little special thing. Hi, my name is Lila. I am the editor-in-chief and the top reporter for my neighborhood newspaper, The Drake Bronco. Well, I used two pieces of construction paper for the cover of the outside, and then um, I found a picture of a bucking horse and stuff, and I, and I really liked it, so... I printed out a picture of it and just glued it on the front. And to be decorative, I took a star hole punch and punched star-shaped holes in the corners. In the first issue, I had one, two, I had 13 pages. The headline is Terrell's Hit All Continents Except Antarctica. Yes. Smith family goes to starve Do your part. Save the tigers. Make something. Drake animals. Drake person of the month. Funny news. Top 10. Fairy tale word search. Contest. Yeah, the Thai Valley restaurant review. And then I wrote an article about the Drake animals. Not that many people were came to the door when I rung, but... Um, Oli, one of my neighbors. My name is Oli Maslowski. He has one dog named Zappa. The dog is uh, Zappa. And then his cats are Chubbers, Primal, Lizzie, Lizzie, Scary, Mursa, Home, Theo, Dominant, TK, One-Eyed, my own fault too, by and by. Jarvis, Jarvis, Playful, and Isabella. Bella, Beautiful. I have lived here. 40 years plus. Um, I really admire Oli about his um, ability to take care of all those cats and a dog and keep them healthy and active. He's a really great neighbor. I picked the name because it just sounds cool. 
and Broncos are fast, and I was thinking of getting at the newspaper really fast, which so far it has, and I just like the name. I just want people to send in more articles. I don't really, well, it would be nice if it became famous, but I don't really, I just hope that I can keep, keep it running long enough. She is unbelievable. How old is she? She is probably nine and a half now. Wow. Maybe ten. Watch out, world. Yeah, here comes Lila. Yes, in the face of, you know, sort of global consolidation of media outlets, here we have hyper, hyper local media at its finest. This um, this next one is a lot of fun. I will let you introduce it. So Man with a Blue Truck is by Eve Abrams, a friend and colleague of ours who works out of New Orleans. And her one-sentence summary is, Who knew a hit and run could end in friendship? I was out back hanging up laundry when my neighbor Monique ran out of her house. Someone just hit your car, she yelled. I had a broken light, a smashed wheel bed, and a scrape of blue paint. Up the block, my neighbor Rudy was sitting on the steps, and I asked him, did he see anything? Rudy said, yeah, I know who did it. I know the guy. He's a friend of mine. Rudy couldn't remember his name, but he said he was tall and bald and drove a blue truck. Rudy said the guy was Mexican, but he looked white, and that he hung out at the Shell station down the street. Rudy asked me not to say it was Rudy who told me. I promised I wouldn't. Can you describe what happened when I drove up at the gas station? No, I don't want to remember because you're crazy, man. You, yeah, for real, you're crazy. You're crazy, baby. The first time when we see you drive your truck, zoom! Fernando Miss said he thought face. I was Spanish. Is I think it's Hispana. And that I was pretty. Oh, it's bonita. Me think it quick. But then he saw my face. You're looking and more. I started hey. screaming. Hey! Why you fuck my truck? Why I didn't go? say that. I said, you hit my car. Something like that. You understand? I said, you hit my car. I mean, understand and say, because I don't remember nothing. Wait, you don't remember hitting my car? No. No. How can you forget hitting somebody's car? No, because somebody called me, hey, bro. You f- drug to my neighbor. What? No, you stupid, man. Oh, for real, man. No. No. Me saying no, because... Because no. How could you not notice? Didn't you hear it? No, yeah, no, no, Liz, no. No, it mean no, no. You didn't feel it? Nothing. Me. Were you borracho? You see, you see. Yeah, borracho. Drunk. Fernando was drunk when he hit my car. Monique, this is Fernando. He's the guy who hit my car. Hi. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he didn't even know that he hit the car, he said. Oh my God, it was so loud, I could hear it in my house. Oh yeah? yeah? I could hear it. And we don't understand nothing. From inside there. Why you not? Hey! Why you not? Uh, I, I, I ran out. It's all right. Gone. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. After Fernando paid me for the car, I thanked Rudy for telling me who did it. He said... He was going to talk to you anyway, you know. He, he was? Told, yeah. And maybe the day he was kind of scared because he was drinking beer. He's your friend, right? Yeah, he's my friend. So why'd you tell me? Before I met him, I met you. 
Remember, like four years, we were friendly here, you know. Tell me who. Who talked to you? Tell it's me. not important. Tell me. No, 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 no. It's important for me. No. I'm not going to tell you. Baby, you know. It's not important. No importante. <laughs> I love this. I love this story. Sort of mad cappy in this great way. Uh, and at the end of the day, this is a story about the loyalty of neighbors. Yeah, right. Her, right. her neighbors spoke up. Right. Spoke up for. Other than creative fulfillment, uh, why are people going to all the trouble of making these? Isn't that enough, Gwen? <laughs> well, of course, I think it is. Um, besides the glory and fun of participating in the Short Docs Challenge, there is a great incentive, and that is we pick four winners every year, and those four producers win a trip to our big conference that we hold here that uh, brings in producers from all over the world. And we present these works in front of everybody uh, at the very beginning of the conference. So it's a real it's a real showcase for this work in a very public way. And we pay their way. It's a free trip to Chicago. Uh, and we also put these stories on the radio. We spread them far and wide. We play them at listening events all over the world. And, of course, we have to mention that every single one of them is on our website. So right. you can listen to all. I mean, you can listen to 179 or whatever we have. And then you can go back and listen to the past years. Oh, that's so cool. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast International Audio Festival. I'm Gwen Maxi here with Julie Shapiro. We're talking about the 2012 Short Docs Challenge. So I think we're ready to hear the winning short docs, the top four. Julie, what sets these four apart from the rest? Yeah, these four we felt um, just kind of went above and beyond, interpreted the rules in interesting ways, were just memorable. Sometimes we just know it when we love the stories. Um, you know, they started with the rules and then went in very different directions, as all the short docs do, but these were the the four that kind of made it to the top tier for, for all of us. All right, which one are we going to hear first? Well, in no particular order, because all four were deemed equal winners, um, we're going to start with Crown the King, Red Takes Black by Adam Campy. One block from Adam Campy's apartment sits the Capitol Pool Checkers Club, where each week men with nicknames like The Hammer, The Pressure Man, and The Razor gathered a trash talk over heated games of checkers. I want some respect, John Henry. You're going to get it. I want some respect. Now, I'm taking some of this back over here, but I'm going this way. I am Tal Roberts. I'm the president of the Washington Checker Club. King me, son. King. I'm in there. And the Checker Club has been around for many, many years, and we play checkers for entertainment. Oh, my Lord. Oh, look at him. Look at him. Look at him. You hear about other sports trash talking. You hear about football players, great trash talkers. And you talk about fishermen, great trash talkers. Checker players ultimately can out talk all of those guys. <laughs> you went the wrong way that time with your fingers on the board. <laughs> okay, hold on now. Hold, hold on, on, hold on, hold on, hold, hold on, nothing. Yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on what? Hold on what? John Henry is a very crafty checker player, very crafty checker player. He tries to use trickery to win the game. 
he is, will set a checker out there and invite you to take this checker. And if you take the checker, then he has he has a series of moves that he can take and then wipe you out. Well, hold it. Hold it nothing. <laughs> hold it nothing. Oh, Susie. But my counter to that is that I tried to play a very defensive game and put him in a bad position whereby his checkers are defenseless. Reason I, I'm called a razor, I use dexterity and I try to be as skilled on the checkerboard as a surgeon and a surgeon is a person that goes in and operates i try to use it my skill to take away his planning his operation and conquer him you can't do it oh no oh yes yes i am yes i am yes i am yes i am you got to come out of here and then i'm come on here Yes. That's a terrible move, Tom. It's not a terrible move. Hmm? He don't come here and I'm running this way. He's coming down a piece. What? What do you mean? Come on here. Mad and angry. <laughs> I thought he was coming back this way. He's going to try to cry. I'm going this way. Oh, yeah, you pay me some respect. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to pay it to you. Yeah, all right. you going to pay me some respect. Yeah. Man. Crown, crown yeah. the king, man. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. This is so much fun. <laughs> of course, there's so much to like about this story, this piece. But one of the things I like the most is the the music without there being any music. Yeah, trash talking is just, <laughs> it's like, it, it was so musical. I was thinking that same thing, the rhythm. The rhythm and the percussion of, the, the percu literal percussion of the checkers. Yeah, and what an unmistakable sound. On the other side of every checkers board is a chess board, you know, usually. And you think of chess as being the club game. Yeah, I think chess gets a lot of uh, media attention and play, and there's chess superstars and, you know, the speed chess and the life-size chess boards that are in certain areas, certain parks. But So I love that Checkers is getting a little bit of the limelight through yep. this one. I agree. What is the next winner? Next up, we have the tale, one man's entire life story in just a few minutes. The tale of the unforgettable Don Floyd, Red, White, and Bruised by John Musto and Brian Barnhart Jr. Don Floyd looks back on his life of 80 years after surviving a heart attack in March of 2012. Among other things. My name is Don Floyd. I ought to be deader in hell. I've been shot, stabbed, had scarlet fever, a Korean War veteran, had a million cuts in my hand from a pulser, had prostate cancer, broke my back at 78, and it's not over yet. Tell you one thing, I've never been afraid of anything in my life. I've had a lot of obstacles. I had scarlet fever when I was seven years old. My poor brother Stan, I used to beat him up every day. One day, he got tired of it and he stabbed me in the back with a knife. When I was 11 years old, old man Spute had an apple orchard, and I wanted them apples. So I climbed up the top of his tree and was picking some apples, and he snuck under me with a shotgun, shot me in the ass with rock salt. I married my high school sweetheart. Catherine Darty Floyd, call me Kay. I got lucky there. Two months later, I was drafted. Three months later than that, I was in Korea. Man. 
Korea was the biggest obstacle just to stay alive. I was a forward observer. He tells the guns where to fire. I came home from Korea in one piece, and I earned the Bronze Star. Well, I worked at Caterpillar for seven years. Worked as a machinist. I worked 311. They started me out as a $1.75, and I had the world by a tail. I also went to work for Van Dorn Upholstering, and then seven years later, I bought the business. Van Dorn Upholstering. I taught upholstering at night at a college in DuPage for 27 years. Taught a lot of folks how to upholster furniture. The only reason I taught because I liked the people, I had a lot of fun. At, they put two tacks, two 14-ounce tacks right through that thumb. An upholster gets cut every day. Over 55 years, I've had over 60 stitches in my hands. Hey, Floydy. Yes, Kay. Why didn't you tell me you were having a heart attack? I had a serious heart attack, drove myself to the hospital, and I've lost 30% of my heart. My two boys, Jeff and Scott, were born in 1956 and in 1959. Hey, Dad. Yes, Jeff. Why don't you ride in an ambulance anymore? Cost too damn much money. I have three beautiful granddaughters. Hey, Grandpa. Yes, Erica. What happened when I loaned you my car? Ran it into a cornfield and it caught on fire and it was total. Crashed and burned. Hey, John, what's it all about? Hell if I know. I believe in hard work. I just took life as it came. But kicked the hell out of me, I kicked back. <laughs> That's right. It is really hard to believe that this is only three minutes. Not because it seems longer, but because so much is is so much is packed in there. It's a whole life story. At least it's like ten life stories and world history, and yeah. John was actually an apprentice to Don Floyd in his upholstery shop, so he wasn't a producer. He's a longtime public radio listener and appreciator. And um, when Don had his heart attack, he realized that he really wanted to do more interviews, get to know a little bit more about his life, and tell the story about him. So, um, you know, with no prior training, he and his friend Brian kind of worked out a recording and, you know, figured out how to... Brian does some sound design, so he helped with the editing. But this was really a first try from someone who just had a great idea and a very memorable character. So we have two more. What is our next to last? Next up is the story that had the controversial color in the title. We have Glass Not Glitter by Abby Wendell. Neighbors of the Murrah Federal Building recall the 1995 bombing that altered the life and culture of Oklahoma City. It was a Wednesday morning, I believe. It was clear. I was at Cracker Barrel four miles, maybe five. I was in Shawnee, probably about 30 miles. Outside of downtown. And I was at my office downtown, just kind of visiting. Just an average April day. And um, I heard.
What was that? We all ran to look out the windows, and I remember looking out and thinking, why is all the glitter on the streets? But it wasn't glitter, it was glass. A lot of phones started ringing. A lot of people were talking in the hallway. You think natural gas explosion? Artillery across the airport. People starting to run up the street. Like it felt like it was a bomb. They were starting to hit something on fire. And then the TV coverage of what had happened. Downtown Oklahoma City is in flames and smoke. We have emergency workers walking around scratching their heads. The emergency alert was put out through the department for every officer to come in. We got a call that the Murrah building had been blown up. Everywhere you looked, there was uh, human parts that had been destroyed in the bombing. We found a lot of people that were still alive, and we did what we had to do to get them out. The sad thing is, on the way in to find those that are still alive, you bypass a lot of folks that are not still alive. Um, it's, you know, it's just, uh, just a hard thing. Whenever I finally got to go home, my wife was watching all this on the news, and I sat down on the couch, and she came over, and she just rubbed my back. And at that point right there is when, you know, you start crying. As the months went by and the coverage began to die away and, you know, they brought the building down, it um, returned to a somewhat better pace, you know. You never really get over it. I still get a shiver when that bomb goes off. And after hearing this story so many times. Talk about without introduction, that this comes mid-sentence, absolutely stops everything, shocks you, just like the event, just like they felt. Every second of this short doc is sound designed meticulously. And she did build the sound of that bomb from scratch. It wasn't just like cue explosion sound from your BBC sound effects CDs or something. Um, yeah, no, she, she worked really hard to try to, to find an emotional pitch in that sound. Um, and I think even this, the 30 seconds after the bomb, when you just kind of imagine maybe debris flying through the air and there's a great blend of like a tone and then an ethereal tone comes in. And I just think she experimented and totally pulled off giving you a sense of um, the psychology of that moment somehow through through the sound. All of these short docs are on the Third Coast website, um, so you can listen to them as many times with headphones on, and they're there. And, and I, I really encourage you to think about doing that because they do keep unfolding and giving more and more with each with each listen. Oh, I totally agree. And I think that also is true of our last, the last uh, short doc that we're going to hear, um, also by somebody who had never done radio before, if I'm not mistaken. And I just 
give a heads up to our listeners to just remember that this guy had never done it. If this guy's never done it and you've never done it, you can do it too. And um, tell us what the name of it is. Yeah, uh, Luke Eldridge is a banker uh, living in the UK, and he produced this last short doc we're going to hear today, The Red, White, and Blue Bus. Here are the familiar faces of the red, white, and blue bus whose lives I will never know. The X7 bus takes the route from Leicester to Northampton, first along the A6 dual carriageway, and then where I get on, the A508 that winds through the gentle hills of the county. The doors swing open, I show my annual pass and take a seat amongst the familiar faces. Those familiar faces. There is the gamer. His game of choice is Angry Birds, a game unfamiliar to me, but one that I've established involves catapulting an animated bird at a pile of blocks with the objective of destroying them. Being coerced into doing this is, presumably, what makes the bird angry. The gamer plays Angry Birds the entire time I'm on the bus with him. Two hours a day. He travels further than me, so maybe it's more. But by my reckoning, he catapults that poor bird 3,600 times every week yet never seems to get bored of it. There is Bluebag, who every day commits that most despised of acts by us bus users, taking up a spare seat with her luggage. Sure, we'd all love a seat for our luggage, but when demand outstrips supply, we all have to take a little less. That's bus economics. There is the retired mod, with his narrow jeans and Paul Weller haircut, who smiles at everybody. He may have discarded his antagonism, but he's kept his image. And the cast runs to many more. The Southeast Asian porters, clean and crisp in their uniforms. The alternative college girls with their asymmetric haircuts. And the mature student who reads Greek mythology. And like all great cultures, we have established and determined our social norms. Most notably, in these 10 hours each week we spend together, we do not talk. There is, of course, so much to talk about. For our children have started to walk, our aunties are emigrating, our brothers have got promotions, and our cats needs to go to the vets. And us? We've started new diets, just bought iPad 3s, had our hair cut, and had a bad night's sleep. But we don't talk about these things, for we say nothing. And that is what we've agreed. Oh, there's so much I like about this story that I, it's like, I, I could just go down the list. <laughs> I this one is just painfully about humanity. I mean, it's it's small. It's three minutes. It's this guy musing, you know, in his own head silently as he rides the bus, and it says so much about how we live in modern society. 
Uh, many of us commute on public transportation and have this sort of exact experience all the time, unless you've got like someone screaming in the back of the bus for whatever reason. He cuts to a reality about what it's like to live in a modern world, and uh, he does it very thoughtfully. And I, Luke confessed that he had been wondering. Um, he works, as I mentioned, at a bank during the days, listens to a lot of radio, and was really wondering if he might have what it takes to, to try to tell radio stories himself. And by all indications, he does. And we're looking forward greatly to hearing what comes next from him. Which brings us to what are we going to do next year uh, for 2013. We have some very exciting things in development. And I can't tell you any specifics, but I will let you know, sneak preview for only you listening right now, that next year's Short Talks Challenge is going to be about food, food stories. So let that seed be planted. My favorite Or shall we subject. say, let it simmer. And uh, if you sign up for our email, you'll get news about this. We'll talk about it on the website. Starting in the early spring or late winter, we will announce the rules and the partner and invite you to make your own story about food and share it with us. Awesome. Uh, There's nothing I like to hear about and think about and talk about more than food. Gwen, this is the year that if you do not make a short talks challenge, uh, you you will be punished. Uh Uh-oh. Okay, you heard it here first. The gauntlet has been thrown. You know, there are all kinds of interesting people that live right around your neighborhood, like... Chubbers. Primal. Lizzie. Lizzie. Scary. Old Man Spute had an apple orchard. And I wanted them apples. No, he mean no. The 2012 Short Docs Challenge was powered by SoundCloud.com. Special thanks to Jocelyn Pierce, the Short Docs intern. ReSound is a production of the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi. The program is produced by Katie Mingle and curated by Johanna Zorn and Julie Shapiro of the Third Coast Festival. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear hundreds of outstanding documentaries from around the world and subscribe to our podcast. Support for ReSound comes from Dojo, a full-service digital agency, on the web at doejo.com. Dojo, we fuel ideas that grow. Support for ReSound also comes from Mark Realty, providing its commercial real estate tenants with personal service and office buildings throughout the Chicago Loop and suburbs. More information about Mark Realty services is available at markrealty.com. The Third Coast Festival is a nonprofit arts organization made possible with lead funding from the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Boeing Company Charitable Trust, the Agadino Foundation, and the Menaki Foundation. This program is partially supported by a grant from the Illinois Arts Council, a state agency. Special thanks to our many individual contributors from Chicago and around the world. The Third Coast Festival was founded in 2000 by WBEZ Chicago. If you want to contact us, we would love to hear from you. Email us at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. Resound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else.